Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today, and today we're joined by Brad and Teresa Evick. How are you all doing today? Doing well, thanks. Good, great. And uh, Brad and Teresa are here today to share their testimony with us. Yeah. Actually, we always like to do something a little bit light. It has to do with food, and I don't know how this will be for you all, but Grace and I like ice cream. And so I'm not sure if you all can even have ice cream with allergies and such, but if you were to have ice cream, what's your favorite ice cream, Brad? Mm, buttered almond. Oh, <laughs> that sounds good. Do you have any specific place you like to get it from? Yeah. Just the grocery store? The grocery has, store. That's good. Some people have ice cream shops they like. How about you, Teresa? Well, my ice cream has to be with coconut milk. Ah, and yum. Any flavor. Yeah. Any flavor plus coconut is right. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, I love all ice cream. I like for it to have something in it. Like I like to have something crunchy in it, you know? And Grayson. Um, Mine doesn't need anything. Though. I just like the so. His answer is never different. Uh, it's always vanilla, and that's okay. Anyway, I pick on him about it every week. Well, uh, Brad and Teresa, maybe Teresa, you can go first, and Brad, you can go after she's done. Just start out telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. I grew up in a small West Virginia community in Sugar Grove, and family was everything. We grew up on a farm. We were very close, and our single-lady school district, there were maybe 240 kids in the whole school. Mm. So when we relocated over here, and there were 240 kids, in our son's sixth grade class, we thought we were in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. So we're, uh, we're small town people and uh, proud of that. It's given us some good family values and mm-hmm. life lessons. Yeah. So, Brett, you grew up, obviously, you grew up probably pretty close to. In Franklin. Yeah. I grew up in Franklin. So you were so in Franklin. It, it's a little, little bigger in Sugar Grove, but <laughs> we met in high school. Uh, I reckon we're high school sweethearts. Yeah. So. How many years have y'all been married? 35 years, this past December 31st. And we had planned to be in, um, we were going to go to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and do some things, see some fireworks, go to Dollywood. And we called it off the last minute because COVID cases there were at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. And we thought we were being responsible and safe. And two weeks later... Brad came home and said, I can't smell or taste. Mm. And he had a raging case of COVID. Mm. So, Teresa, do you want to walk us through how'd that journey begin? Well, very quickly, Brad became um, sick enough that he had to be admitted to our local hospital. And within three or four days, um, he had a complication on top of COVID that made him a candidate to receive ECMO therapy. Um, it's not really a treatment. It's a therapy. It is hope mm-hmm. for someone who is so sick with COVID that that is like a last possible resort for relief to let the lungs rest. And 
by time with intensive care treatment support. So um, he was admitted to the hospital January the 24th, and by the 29th, we were desperately on our knees praying that if it was God's will to be with us, that he would open the door for an ECMO bed. And so January the 29th, one came available, and he was flown to Richmond, the St. Mary's Hospital. Can we back up one second? Because there was another bed that came available, too. There was. Can we talk about that? So I think that's important. I don't want to miss that piece. Yes, I've forgotten yeah, about that. That's okay. So Wednesday night, there was a bed available, and I got a call to come in and spend some time with Brad in the intensive care unit before they intubated him and put him in a medically de- induced coma to transport him to Norfolk, Virginia, to receive ECMO therapy. So I went into the ICU and spent some time with him, and about 20 minutes before the doctors were going to intubate him, the nurse came in and said, we gave your bed away. Mm-hmm. There's somebody sicker. Wow. So I stayed the rest of the night. The nurses were kind enough to let me stay with him, and Brad said to them, do you remember saying this, Brad? He said, it's okay, it's not your fault. Short of breath, very short of breath. Could hardly get a sentence out. But when I'd first come into the room to visit him, his eyes were bluer than they normally are. And he looked at me and he said, everything's going to be okay. Like only he can say to me <laughs> in this earth, in the, in the natural here. And I could believe it. And he was very sick. So Wednesday went by, Thursday came. He's getting sicker. Friday morning rolls around. No beds, but they're looking frantically. ECMO beds are coveted beds, really. Mm -hmm. There are not very many of them in the state of Virginia at all. And COVID in January was very rampant. There were a lot of sick people. So Friday comes around, and they had to intubate Brad. And we received a call that said, I just gave Brad life-saving medication through a central line. Now's the time we need a miracle, and it'll open up. You'll see. So about, um, I get a call saying we have a bed, and when you figure out that the intensive care doctor is scared, you know you're in big trouble. And the doctor said, we have a bed. Where's it at? St. Mary's Hospital. Mm. I said, oh, I'm so relieved. I'm so thankful. She said, do you know anything about him? And I had to say, I have no clue. And the doctors were not knowing if it was the right decision to ship him out because they didn't know. They had no idea at the time that this hospital was in the nation's top 5% for intensive care, treatment, emergency medicine, stroke center, cardiac surgery. It's a top-notch hospital, but nobody knew that. And so this forceful feeling came upon me, and I had to start talking to the doctor like I was the doctor, Um, kind of authoritative. Can you handle him here if he doesn't have it? And she said, he really needs it. And I remember saying to her, we're out of options. He's going to St. Mary's. So then there were 50 other pieces that had to fall in place. They had to find a helicopter. It had to be able to fly. All of the admissions stuff had to happen. So we got a call back, and she said, the chopper's five minutes out. So me and our children 
our son, Ben, and our daughter, Heidi, we were all in separate cars because we had separated for the evening, not knowing when this was going to happen or not happen. And we all came to the hospital, and when I came around the corner of our development, I saw the moon, and it was beautiful, and it was bright, and it was full. And it was God's sign to me that everything was going to be okay. But it was a long journey. Yeah. I remember you um, called me, Teresa, and it was when it was before he went to Richmond. And I remember you saying, um, you asked me a question about, is that taking it out of God's hands to take him and put him on the ECMO machine? <laughs> like you were questioning everything because you wanted to do everything right. And I said, for such a time as this, God has given Brad this wife that knows so much about the body and medical terms. And like for such a time as this, you're there to fight for him. You become his advocate, not only to the doctors and to the nurses, but you become an advocate of prayer. You know, you you called people to prayer, and there were so many people praying over Brad and over your family. But I just remember, like, you wanted to be, um, you're a very intentional person. Your steps are calculated, right? Like, you think about the next step and how that's going to affect others. And that night when you called and you wanted to make sure that you were in God's will to take and put him on this, and I'll not forget that. You really wanted to be the right thing, and you were seeking God on every turn. And if he would have flown the night before, it wouldn't have went that well for him. Um, with that other bed. If he would have flown Wednesday night when the chopper, the first, well, when the first bed came up in Norfolk, if he would have flown that night, the air pressure, the barometric pressure from the chopper could have collapsed along. Intubating him could have caused his esophagus to rupture. Any more assault to his body that was already so sick would not have been in his favor at all. So the last minute... When that bed was canceled, by Friday, I understood God canceled that bed. Mm-hmm. God canceled that bed. There was things going on with his lungs that you all didn't realize at that time that they were yes. able to get a hold of. Yes. Yeah. And by Friday, I spoke with a doctor who was able to tell me that the air leaking out of his chest into the middle of his chest called the mediastinum and other places in his body that should not have free air they had resolved, and so it was safe to fly him. Yeah. <laughs> it was safe. Yeah. And we kept saying, you know, God, you know, let your will be done. If you want Brad to make it through this, you have to open up this opportunity because no one has control, mm-hmm. and they don't. Um, they have to consult with the facility. You have to meet their protocol. Mm-hmm. Protocols change every day. They have to accept you. The beds were all full. When people get on that, sometimes they're on it for two weeks or more. And so there's just not a lot of availability. So just beg God, if it is your will, open up the opportunity. Make the bed available. Wherever you say he's going, wherever it comes up, that's where he's going. At that point, it could have been Canada. And I think it would have been on the, <laughs> I would have been on the next flight out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Teresa, uh... Just talk about how, I know I hear a lot of surrender taking place in this situation, just surrendering the situation, surrendering Brad to God, just how he has helped you get through these difficult times and uh, 
Um, Brad, if you want to add anything uh, since uh, your recovery, just how y'all have felt the Lord's presence just in this entire situation? Well, the Lord was around us all over the place. Our daughter comes to mind, and Pastor Adrian gave a message a while back about um, waking God up. And my daughter called me up one morning, and she says, Mom, we need to wake God up. I said, you think he doesn't know? I mean, he's awake. She said, no, I mean, really wake him up. We're all praying. But if we get a 1,000 people to pray, he will hear us. He will definitely be awake and aware. And so she took control of that and started using social media to advocate for her dad and petition the Lord and all of her friends and their friends and their friends. And it ended up being four countries and at least 10 states of people that were praying from California. A relative is a nurse, and she was working in a Good Samaritan COVID tent in California. And she messaged us. The prayer just started going up all over the place, and things started happening. And we could feel the blanket. I could feel the blanket of protection. And it was a lot of spiritual things going on as well, um, the storms. I'd never had to do, I've always been really pampered. <laughs> I've never had to do uh, anything to the outside because Brad wanted to take care of me like that. So, of course, the day after he was airlifted into Richmond is when all of the snow came and the bad weather. It wasn't terrible weather, but for us, you know, it was bad weather. So I remember particularly the morning that we had the ice storm And when I got home from my daughter's house, there was like an inch of sleet balls in our front yard. I mean, you could see the grass out of the sleet. And in our front door, there was four or five inches of sleet balls that had frozen the front door shut. So a lot of things like that that I felt were spiritual attacks. And God kept saying, the storm is over. And just I felt his presence all over I did not want to be by myself. Brad's my soulmate, my best friend. I could not imagine life without him. And so I just gave everything to God, including the day that the hospital called me and um, I was not prepared to hear that they wanted to, they wanted to talk to me about giving a DNR order for him. Which I thought we had talked about it enough. I thought he would probably know, but I did not want to give that order because I did not want them to stop caring for him, even though they assured us, me and the kids and Brad's brother, that they would do everything possible, but should his heart stop beating, did they have permission to not do CPR? And I just wasn't prepared, so I thought, oh, what am I going to do? So we talked about it, and the next morning just came to me. And it wasn't me. I'm sure God sent it to me. I had done research on this hospital, and I know they're in the top 5%, a lot of areas of care. As I said before, intensive care, they're a wonderful heart hospital, stroke center, all complications of COVID that, you know, could have, could have, but God protected us from that. And so my answer to them was, I know that you're qualified in all of these areas, so the answer to the DNR is keep him out of the situation, and he won't need it. and I at that time when I told them that I had been praying and 
I said, I just got to give his heart over to God. I have to give God his heart because God's the only one that can protect it at this point. We don't know about his heart. We don't. And so once I gave his heart to God, then I never gave that DNR order. He started getting better little by little, gradually, day by day. Good things started happening. Palliative care kind of, you know, stepped out of the picture very shortly after that. There was a prayer vigil because he was COVID positive. How many days? 30-some days after he tested positive for COVID, he was still testing positive at an infectious rate. Mm -hmm. And so my daughter, my daughter-in-law was her idea to do a prayer vigil. My brother-in-law is a minister, a youth pastor, and he's good at technology like Grayson is. Mm -hmm. And he did a live Facebook um, prayer vigil, and we all prayed on that. And one of the prayers for that was to drive COVID from Brad's body and bind it and take with it all the damage that it might try to leave behind. And prayed hard for negative COVID tests so I could get in to see him. That was on February the 27th in the afternoon. Now, I did not know, they had not told me that they were going to test him on Saturday. And Sunday when I talked to the hospital, the nurse said, he had a negative COVID test yesterday, so we're going to test him again. Hmm. And so the COVID test came back negative on Monday morning, March the 1st. So that was my ticket into Richmond to be able to touch him, to talk to him, to hold his hand. So March the 3rd was the day that I went to Richmond, and another spiritual attack happened. Um, On Tuesday the 2nd, I started uh, with my left eye seeing bright flashes of light and blue balls floating, floating down the side of my peripheral vision, and I needed to go to an appointment as an emergency work in to make sure that I didn't have a retina detaching from my left eye. But God took care of that. It was all good. And I headed off to Richmond to be with Brad. There's another piece that, like, God brought encouragement. There's not much for Brad to say because he's, he's not in this. He's just <laughs> he's hanging out. out at this point, yeah. right, Brad? Yep. And he's happy about yep. hanging out here and not talking. Yep. And, you know, so he's... Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of input because at this point, because there is one thing I think that he'll probably share with us. Mm-hmm. He's God, just a miracle just sitting Yeah, that's right. He just, radio, that's right. That's right. He is God's miracle. So God brought you, the moon was one thing that really spoke to you, but there was something else that happened multiple times in this journey in God's creation. And it started out, I think, in Richmond at one of the places that you all were staying when you went to visit the first time. Yes. I've forgotten to share. The ECMO team did let us in twice for 10 minutes. And so the first time was February the 7th, I think, on the Saturday we had gone. We went down on the Friday night, and we stayed. And when we came out the door Saturday morning on our way to the hospital, the birds were there so loud. Like it could have been 100 birds in this little boxwood hedge shrub right in front of us but we couldn't see a bird. And so my son, Ben, and my son-in-law, Ben, had already been out the door that morning, and they looked at each other and said, we just came by here. That's really weird. We didn't hear any birds at all. (laughs) And they were so loud. And I thought I like Psalm 91, and I feel like it is a hedge of protection, and 
Mm-hmm. Pastor Adrian spoke about that this past Sunday. It's one of my favorites. And I always felt like God had us in the shadow of his wings, mm-hmm. a hedge of protection around us. And a lot of times, Pastor Margaret is right, <laughs> a lot of times there were birds. Like I would open the front door and I could hear them just as vividly as I heard them in Richmond. And I might see one if I could even see any. They're just all around all the time including the weekend that I brought Brad home. I thought, I need to get, this was in April, I need to get the snowman wreath off the door. People will think I'm crazy. It's spring. So I lifted the wreath down and was going to put it in our shed for storage. And I looked, and in the hat, there was a bird's nest with four baby birds. I said, whoops, that has to go back. That has to go back. One for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one for Brad, right? That's right, and that's exactly what Pastor Margaret oh. told us. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow. I just remember in those days the encouragement uh, that that brought you and brought me. Um, uh, your faith was certainly sustaining you in those days, and God was faithful. So he starts improving. I think that's where I interrupted you. He was starting to improve some. Where did it go from there? What happened? COVID is not a linear recovery. It's an up and down recovery. So he started getting better, but there were days that wouldn't be so good. And they they were a little scary. So when I first got in to see him, I hardly knew him. I mean, I, I knew him, but his hands were so swollen. They didn't even look like his hands and his feet. And so I told the nurses I, w- I wanted to like rub his legs with lotion and just kind of massage the tissues and and his feet, and just, you know, talk to him while I was there, and I decided it might be a good idea to do some physical therapy. I don't know what got into me. I thought I was a physical therapist. <laughs> so I was, like, rubbing his legs. I said, oh, well, let's just lift it up and bend his knee, and I look up, and he's shaking his head. No. <laughs> no. I was like, oh, okay, sorry. And, and so I went to his left side, which is his uh, affected arm right now neurologically, but it will get better. And I saw his hand was just limp on the pillow, and he couldn't move it. He, he couldn't move his fingers or anything. So I picked up his fingers, and I started to do, like, little exercises, and I looked up at his head, and he's shaking his head. No. Again. So, like, his body hurt him so much when he woke up. I was hurting him. But he started coming around more and more. He was slow to wake up from anesthesia because... He is slow to wake up anesthesia on a normal procedure, much less being asleep for all those weeks in a coma. So he was slower to wake up. The doctors thought that he had really serious neurological damage because he did not respond like they had seen. And so once he he started waking up, they took him off of the ventilator. I forgot to tell you, I was glued to my phone 24-7 because when Brad was on ECMO, because at any given moment, I would get a phone call. It would be like, Miss Evick, your husband has bacteria growing in his blood. We need your permission to change out every line. And they would change out everything, everything, to keep him from getting septic and change antibiotics and on and on. And one of those times that they had to change the lines, they said the tube down his throat for the ventilator has been there so long, it's a source of infection from bacteria in the mouth, we want to go ahead and do a trach because that's how he will wean off anyway. 
So he had the trach. So when he was in the ICU recovering, the next step was to put him on a breathing collar, and they put a little valve on the trach so he's able to speak. Well, he started waking up and, like, started to become a lot like Brad very quickly, even though the doctors couldn't see it because they didn't know him. I could see it in how he was talking to us. He didn't need a lot of training for the speech valve. He just kind of woke up and kind of went to talk, and he could talk through the speech valve, which was a miracle in itself. He woke up swallowing. He didn't have to learn to swallow very shortly after. He could tolerate a soft diet food. Um, so the doctors that thought, though, the one doctor in particular thought he wasn't doing as good, and he decided to order a test. They were constantly looking for stroke, which is a complication of COVID. And every time, my heart would just, oh, and just ask God to protect him, that we are standing on his promises of healing Brad 100%. He is the Lord God. Is there anything too difficult for him? We just always believed in 100% healing. And the tests always came back negative. It was the sedating part that made him unresponsive. So they had to realize they couldn't keep sedating him for tests if they wanted him to wake up. So he woke up. He was transferred out of St. Mary's Hospital. He doesn't really remember much in St. Mary's at all. He was transferred to Sheltering Arms in Richmond where he continued rehab. The doctors there said they only accept challenging cases. He was a traumatic brain injury specialist. He expected Brad stay there to be greater than a month, and Brad walked out of there <laughs> in two weeks and two days. Wow. Praise, Praise the Lord. Lord. Yes, he is a miracle. God gave us our miracle, and we have something else to do here together on this earth. And, you know, your faith and Heidi's faith, your family's faith, was so apparent in this journey. And I remember I came to your house one evening, and the table's full of bread and bananas and tuna. And I'm like, I'm bringing you dinner. You got all this food. They're feeding um, open doors. You all made a commitment to be in ministry this year as a family. And you all were going to hold to that commitment. And I was inspired by your faith, Heidi's faith, the family's faith, throughout this journey. And, you know, I've said to you that your faith, she's like, well, it was Heidi. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> like, Heidi's the one that said, we got to, you know, we got to pray. And, um, and I know there was others in your family that were, um, you all were in that together. And yes. you were in unity on that. It was beautiful. But it was that type of faith that called others to faith and to pray. And today we have a miracle um, because of that. And maybe there's someone facing something. It might not be COVID. It could be something else that they desperately need a miracle. And what would you say to them today, Teresa, um, is the most important thing? Put your hope and trust in the Lord. Yeah. There is hope. Yeah. And it is in the Lord. Yeah. Right. And you surrendered it all. You even surrendered his heart. <laughs> he right. couldn't surrender his heart, but you did, right? right? Like to yeah. protect that heart right. so that there wasn't right. even physical things that could happen. It was powerful, um, just the call to prayer. And, you know, there were times that you would call and say, well, we need to pray. And that's what we did. You know, that was, that was the focus of your life in those days. And just want to make sure that folks, prayer changes things. 
So, Brad, you've been really quiet. Yep. Um, there was there was a point, and you're happy with that, but there was a point that um, you shared with me. Things got pretty bright for you. Would you like to just share with us about that? Yeah. Sometime while I was in a coma, I seen a bright light, brighter than any light I you could imagine. And all of a sudden, it was a male said, you're not ready, and it turned black. And that's pretty much all I remember about that. I mean, it woke you, you know. I told Teresa about it, and it sure was amazing to yeah. see. So you were almost in heaven. <laughs> yeah. You might have been there. Yeah, he, he shut the... Shut her down. It wasn't time yet. Nope, wasn't time. Yeah, and so he still has things for you to yep. do here, and that's powerful. And I know that you are seeking God as to what, what that looks like. And right now you're healing. You still have healing to do, and you have a lot of family to love on. Oh, yeah. And uh, grandkids. Yeah. And a new puppy. And I get a new pup. Wow. And I highly recommend people get the vaccine. Yeah. Good plug. Mm-hmm. Shameless mm-hmm. plug. That was good. I like it. Yeah. Because I'm going to when I can. Mm-hmm. That's right. God gave you a second chance at life, and uh sounds like uh, you're making the most of it. And uh, like I said, you're a miracle sitting there, and uh, you don't have to fight a whole lot. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yep. Well, Brian and Teresa, thank you for joining us today for Hope Talks. It's been great to have you and great to hear y'all's testimony. Thank you thank for you. asking us. Thank to you. Come. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that as you've heard Brad and Teresa Evick's testimony, that it's been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.